Hey, it is good to be here and it's a privilege to, to see you guys. We've been hearing a lot, of, obviously, from Hope and she's been giving us a blow-by-blow um, and meeting up with Matt and, of course, we know Brad and Catherine from Springwood. So that's fantastic to, to see how they're developing. Um, and it's just great that you guys are doing what you're doing in the city and we are very, very pumped that in the middle of Sydney someone's doing this stuff and, and it's just really, 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 really is... Very, very exciting for us to see you guys doing this. And City Light, and there's a whole bunch of other people who are beginning to get on board with this. Uh, wow, what, what, a, what an opportunity to lead the whole of Australia. You know, you guys can really be pioneers in, in Sydney and showing how it can be done in the city and Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane, wherever else. Hey, David Myers, how cool is that guy? He's a really good guy, even though his name's just too similar to mine. <laughs> and uh, I've had him speak uh, at different things. He is a really wonderful guy. Um, just really excited that he's going to Brisbane. What a, what a, isn't God doing good stuff you know, right now? It's a good time to be um, involved in church in Australia. So we've been doing a series at Simon Blue Mountains on Romans, so I thought I'd do one of the talks this morning from that. Romans is a symphony in four movements, you might know, uh, chapters 1 to 4 of the book of Romans that Paul wrote. Uh, chapters 1 to 4 is the gospel, what God has done through Christ. And having done that, he then looks in chapters 5 to 8 of Romans at our assurance that those who believe the gospel are the true new humanity. So he spends some time in chapters 5 to 8 Okay, I want you to be confident about who you are. You are the true new humanity based on what Christ has done. And then he goes on in chapters 9 to 11 to talk about mission. And then he goes on in chapters 12 to 16 to talk about the unity of the church. We can't be on mission if we're not unified together and loving one another. So gospel, assurance, mission, unity is the four sort of acts of this symphony of of Romans. And I want to look at chapters 5 to 8, Assurance, this morning, and look at chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, if you can follow along. Romans 5, 1 to 11, is the introduction to chapters 5 to 8, and it's all about, hey, I want you to be sure that you are the true new humanity through Christ. Uh, I found this really cool picture which kind of says it all, if we could throw that up there. And I think sometimes we think of ourselves... Can I go back here? Is that all right? Sometimes we think of ourselves like this, you know, as scrap metal. And we view others who are Christian like this as well. Oh, you're just a piece of rubbish. But actually, look who we really are. And we need to see who we really are. And we need to see that in each other. It's who we are and also who we're becoming. We are true human beings. We are God's new humanity who will inherit the whole creation. Get a grip of that, that the person sitting next to you and behind you and in front of you think who they really are. And we can't do mission, we can't be in unity with each other unless we're very firm on this. So Paul really introduces this whole idea uh, of who we are in Romans 5, 1 to 11. There's a story of a guy who thinks he's seed. He literally thinks he's pieces of seed on the ground. And he goes to a, an analyst, a psychologist, and 
talks to the psychologist for three years. At the end of the three years, he goes, hey, I'm not seed on the ground. I'm a human being. And he's so happy. He's three years, a lot of money spent, but he's so happy. I'm a human being. I'm not seed. But then three weeks later, he's back at the psychologist's door, knocking and knocking and clearly distraught. Looks like he hasn't slept for days, hasn't eaten for days. He's overwhelmed and he's knocking away and the psychologist opens the door and says, what's wrong? He says, well, my next door neighbour has bought chickens. And he says, well, what's wrong with that? Well, I'm afraid they're going to eat me. And the, the psychologist says, yeah, but you know you're not seed on the ground. You know you're a human being. He said, yeah, I know I'm a human being, but do the chickens know? <laughs> you know? And, you know, this is our problem. This is, our pro- this is the problem Paul is addressing in Romans 5 to 8. I can say, yeah, I'm a human being. <laughs> but at one level I see that, but at another level I don't. And when something happens, like the next-door neighbour gets chickens, or something external to me happens, like someone criticises me, or someone sins against me, or someone does some terrible thing, or, or I'm suffering hardship, hardship comes my way, and suddenly all these deep insecurities come out, these deep doubts, these, and I, I begin to act as if I'm a piece of garbage rather than a full human being. I begin to view others you know, that way as well. And I lose this sense of who I really am. So Paul wants us to really be very grounded and excited about who we are so that we can be on mission and in community and unity together. So let's look at how he introduces this in chapter 5, 1 to 11. He says, be assured of who you are in Christ. He talks about this in terms of peace and hope. In 5, 1 to 11. Okay, let's look at it. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not just personal peace. Uh, over the years, I mean, I've worked with young adults all of my life through university ministry and all sorts of things. And uh, I've noticed that young adults, particularly uh, when they first become Christians, they get really excited and um, all this adrenaline is coming, pumping through their veins and they might meet their life's partner as part of that journey and all, all sorts of things begin to open up in God and they're so excited. But then things get a bit tougher and they begin to wonder, have I done something wrong? Have I lost my peace with God? Because I feel awful. Paul says, no, uh, your peace with God doesn't change whatever happens. <laughs> whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, whatever hardship comes your way, Your peace with God does not change because peace with God means you're reconciled to God through Christ. Not depending on what you've done or what you're going through, depends entirely on Jesus Christ and what he's done. Um, And whatever you're feeling, you have a loving, welcoming relationship with God, your father. And he will never not be your father. He will never turn you away. Your peace with God is absolutely secure. So since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. It's there, it's real, and it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's incredible. Hard to believe that the God of the universe would want to know me personally. Um, you know, Out of all the billions of people in the world, why does he want to know me on a one-to-one basis? Crazy. 
crazy. And yet he is a God of love. It's his nature to want to know every human being personally, to know us, to love us, to be our father. Uh, that's just his character. That's his nature. And I think sometimes we find it hard to believe because we've been marred by sin and idolatry and our, our thinking has been darkened. And we think, no, God doesn't want to know me. Or we think uh, it's hard to maintain our relationship with God. I've got to do all this stuff or I'll not be in favour with him. We have a Buddhist friend who um, every time she denounces Buddha or, or has a bad thought about Buddha in her head, she feels like she's got to pray immediately to sort of undo that. And she says if she cries when she prays and if she rocks backwards and forwards as she prays, then it'll all be good. You know, she'll be back in favour with Buddha. And unfortunately, some Christians think that as well. Uh, but with Jesus, with, with the God we know through Jesus Christ, it's not like that. <laughs> um, you know, he wants a relationship with us. He's made a way to be in relationship with us through Jesus Christ. And we don't have to do anything to maintain that relationship, to, to, to remain in favour with him. It's a given. Whatever we're doing, whatever we're feeling, whatever we're going through, that doesn't mean there's something wrong in the structure of our relationship with God. Nothing can change the structure of our relationship with God now. He will not turn us away. It cannot be undone because it's based on what Jesus has done for us. Even if we don't sense his presence, even if it feels like nothing is happening, even if it feels like everything's going down the tubes, no. Our feelings are not a good indication of what is real sometimes. And Paul wants us to understand that our peace with God is solid rock that we're standing on. He's still our Father. We belong to him, whatever happens. Or as he says in verse 2, we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, which means that we have permanent access into his presence. We can pray to him at any time about anything. We can approach him. He will listen to us. He will welcome us. We have complete access to him all the time because through Jesus we now stand in a state of grace, he says, a place where we're surrounded by his love and generosity, um, which is in fact what human beings were created for back in the Garden of Eden. We were meant to be in a space where God's love and generosity was all around us and we had full access to him at every moment. And so what we were made for is now true through Jesus Christ. We have this access to the Father, which is unhindered. And um, to, to stand in God's presence, not afraid anymore, but deeply grateful. Just inhaling his goodness, his wisdom, his truth, his power, his joy. And this is the start of something even bigger. This is just the start. This peace with God is only the start of something huge which God is now going to do for us in our lives. It's the first part of us becoming the true human beings who will be in dominion over the whole creation, who will reflect God's glory throughout the whole creation. Paul talks about this in chapter 5, 12 to 21, and then again in chapter 8, 18 to 30. We are going to inherit the whole creation. The whole creation is going to be renewed and we will be the people of God who reflect the glory of God in that new creation. We will have dominion again as we were created to. So this is only the first part of what God intends to do 
in our lives. This peace with God that we now already experience is the beginning of that. That we will be the true image bearers of God in the future creation. And so Paul then goes on. He says in verse 2, We've gained access into this grace in which we now stand and we boast of the hope of the glory of God. Uh, What does it mean to boast in the hope of the glory of God? It's hard to translate this word boast, but it means we celebrate (laughs) our future. We know where we're headed and we celebrate it. And it's also got this idea of confidence. We boast, we are confident, we are assured of this future. Because of what Christ has done for us, we have peace with God and we have the hope of glory coming. We know it. It's deep in our bones. This is true. And so we celebrate confidently. We're sure of it. Now, what is this glory we hope for? I've already said that it's the glory that Adam and Eve had in the beginning that we lost through idolatry and sin. We'll finally have that glory again, you know, that we were created for. Uh, The whole creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption and decay. And we will take our place as liberated, resurrected human beings in that new creation. So that's our hope. And in verses 3 to 5 develops this further. Not only so, not only do we hope confidently in the glory coming, not only do we boast and confidently celebrate the glory coming, but we also boast in the context of our suffering. We glory in our sufferings. We celebrate this hope even though we're suffering. The glory is coming, but in the meantime there's suffering. To get to the glory, we need to go through suffering. We celebrate in the midst of suffering. We don't celebrate the sufferings, but we celebrate our hope in the midst of the sufferings that we're encountering in this world. And Paul sees a steady progression. God uses our sufferings to transform us into the people we are going to be in that future creation. Um, This is also why he gives us his presence and love, of course. The fact that he's with us, that we have complete access to him, begins to transform us. Just that we know him as Father begins to transform us. But God as our Father also uses our suffering to transform us so that we can become the people that we need to be in that future creation. So in verse 4 he says, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. We know that suffering produces perseverance, and then perseverance produces character, and then character in turn produces hope. If you're like me, you want things to be immediate and easy, and that's not God's way. Things being easy doesn't produce character, and it doesn't even produce hope in the end. Um, To just be given everything on a platter doesn't make us better people. It doesn't help us hope. So Paul says, persevering in suffering creates character in us and creates a deeper hope in us for this future that's coming. And then he says, verse 5, and this hope doesn't put us to shame. Why does he say that? I think he's saying, and we will not be disappointed. Um, How do we know that? Well, he says, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
How does this love being poured into our hearts assure us of this hope that, that we will not be disappointed? Well, firstly, I think this phrase, love of God, is our love for God and each other. Just the fact that it's in our hearts suggests that it's our love for God and for each other rather than God's love for us. I think that's what Paul's talking about here, that the Spirit keeps pouring into our hearts a love for God and for each other. As we persevere, the Spirit is working. As, in the context of suffering and hardship, we keep doing what is right, keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, as we persevere, at the same time as us persevering, the Spirit of God is pouring love for God and love for each other into our hearts. That's how we develop in character as we persevere. So we're suffering, we persevere in the suffering, and then character is produced in us. It's the character of love. It's produced by the Spirit who, ke- who has poured God's love into our hearts and keeps pouring God's love into our hearts. But it happens as we persevere in suffering. And then as we see that love developing in our hearts, we see that character of love growing. That assures us of the hope that we have because we know that, we, that the future is love, that we will be God's loving agents in the new creation. So if we see that love now developing in us, it, it strengthens our hope for that future. It's already happening, in other words. We see that God is actually preparing us for that wonderful future because we see that we are growing in love for one another and for God as we persevere. And God is using that suffering dynamically to get us ready and to keep us hoping. And then, of course, as we see the love growing, as we are strengthened in our hope for the future, that encourages us to persevere. So it keeps going in a sort of a cycle. Pretty cool. So he said that we, we're confident. Um, you know, we have peace with God. Uh, we're boasting in the hope of glory. We're so confident. We're celebrating constantly this future that we have. And we're also celebrating confidently in the context of suffering. Um, you know, there's all this joy, even though we're suffering, even though it's hard, even though all sorts of stuff's happening. And there's all this joy because we know God is building character in us and preparing us for this wonderful future. And then he says, and he concludes by saying, and we confidently celebrate God himself. As we celebrate the hope that we have, as we celebrate in the context of suffering, we also celebrate God himself. We boast about God himself. We are amped about God himself. We are sure of him. We love him. He is the base of it all. We grow in our celebration of him in this whole process. So here now in verses 6 to 11, Paul talks about God's love for us that we now boast in. Paul's vision of God's love now shines like the sun on a clear summer morning. And it's like in verses 1 to 5, he's kind of opened up the curtains and shown us what God is doing in our lives. And now in verses 6 to 11, he just says, let the sun shine through. You know, just be dazzled by 
this love of God that has made all this possible. Just sit in the sun and enjoy it. Uh, God's love has done everything we could to, uh, need and will need. So verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Get a, get a glimpse of, wow, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the love of God. That's the basis of everything we now hope in. It wasn't when we were particularly attractive that God sent his son to die for us. It wasn't when it looked like, oh, we could get our act together if we were just given a little bit of help. No. It was when we were up, ap- absolutely worthless. It's when we were sinners. It's when we couldn't help ourselves at all. It's when we were rebelling against God that God sent his son to die for us. Paul's drawing here on what he said in Romans 3 about Jesus' death. He says, just let's reflect on Jesus' death for a moment. Um, he's, God, through Christ, has done the extraordinary and the impossible. You know, he's, he's done the amazing. He's, he's sent his son to become a man and to suffer on a cross for us. I mean, that... that is incredible and um, to love the unlovable um, to love the unworthy surely surely this gives us confidence in God that he was prepared to do that and so Paul says now that God has done the difficult bit he won't let us down how much more will he bring us to this future that he's promised? If he's done that, if he's become a man and, and died that terrible death for us, we can be absolutely sure that he'll complete what he's begun and bring us to the glory that is coming. It's like having a long walk at the end of your work every day. Say if you've got a five-kilometre walk home and the first... 4.95 kilometres are all uphill and you sort of struggle up after work. You get to the top of the hill, but your, house, your home is just 50 metres down the other side of the hill. Not far at all. Now, if you're walking home, do you get to the top of the hill with 50 metres to go and just sit down at the top of the hill and go, I'm not going any further? <laughs> no. Uh, it's all downhill from here. You're so close. You, you, you could just crawl down the rest of the, of the way to get home. Uh, home beckons, so home you go. And this is what Paul is saying. God has done the ridiculously hard bit. God has done the unthinkable bit by sending his son to die for us. No way will he stop. He will take it through to its conclusion. Verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If he's done that, verse 9, now that we've been justified by his blood, by his sacrificial death, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Here's the answer to what Paul was saying in chapters 1 and 2, that God's wrath is coming. God's wrath hangs over humanity. But now we discover that those who are in Christ will escape that wrath. How has that happened? Well, through Jesus taking that wrath upon himself. 
God was in Christ absorbing his own wrath against humanity into his own self and dealing with his own wrath so that we could go free, so that we could be forgiven. So we've seen it. We've seen Jesus has died for us. Verse 10, If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So we've seen that. We know that. And therefore, how much more, having been reconciled, how much more now that God has dealt with his wrath against us, how much more shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God. What does this mean? It's saying, in Christ, by the Spirit, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, we're just... just, so excited that, that we have a God who will not let us go. He won't let us go. He will complete what he began. And we celebrate that confidently. His love has been demonstrated so thoroughly by sending his son to die for us. He won't let us go. The final judgment comes, but we will be saved. We know that. But notice he says, verse 10, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? This is talking about the Spirit's work in us as we travel forward in life in the context of suffering. Through the Spirit, we know he will work in us to get us to where he wants us to be. It's through the Spirit's work that we have absolute assurance. I mean, we might do some pretty terrible things. We might be faithless in all kinds of ways. But this is saying that nonetheless, God through the Spirit will get us to where he wants us to be in the end. And we will be welcomed and honoured members of the new creation, whatever we do. I, I like the illustration of God as like the ultimate chess player. And, um, you know, I make a move, but he, and I think I've checkmated God, but, but, um, but he's always got ways to outmaneuver me. And I do these crazy, dumb, incredibly stupid things sometimes. And yet he's able to trump that and to work through that and around that and still gets me where... I mean, it's not a game, is it? It's not like God's playing a game of chess with me. He's trying to love me and save me. And whatever I do, his sovereign love means he'll have an answer. He'll bring it round. He'll use that bad thing for good. He'll achieve his purposes. And on the last day, we'll be all standing there. And we'll be celebrating that God has done all this amazing stuff in our lives. We'll forget the sin. It'll be burned away. And we'll be there arm in arm saying, wow, remember when God did this, remember when God did that, to bring us back to himself, to bring good out of bad, to trump evil with all this stuff. So this is what Paul is saying. We have absolute confidence through the life of Christ, through the Spirit, 
that God will keep working to bring us home and he will not let us go. So this isn't saying sometimes we do pretty bad things and, and there won't be pretty terrible consequences. We've just had some pastoral issues in our church which just hit me for absolute six, you know, an affair at the, the very centre of our community. Um, you go, well, I, my first thought was we're not going to survive this. <laughs> um, but clearly God is able to work great things. And yet at the same time, it's going to cost. And I, I mean, if you murder someone, obviously there's going to be so much pain caused by something like that in your life. And you're going to carry the sadness and sorrow of that for the rest of your life. Uh, in some, although that sorrow will be healed to some extent, you will live with the knowledge that you killed a person and that what God was doing through that person's life won't happen now because they're gone. And so there are things that we can do in this life which are going to be hard to live with. But, Paul is saying, even then, God's going to bring great things out of it. And I, I, just, I just wonder at the fact that Jesus' resurrected body had the scars of the crucifixion still on it. His glorious body still had the scars of crucifixion. And that just reminds me that God, out of all the terrible things that might happen, is still able to bring it to a glorious conclusion. I don't know everything about that, but I don't know how that's going to work. It's a deep, deep mystery. But on that last day, even the terrible things will make some sense. We'll see God's purpose in it. We'll see how God has used it. We'll see the glory that God has achieved through it. And we'll begin our dominion over the creation. So there's that lovely verse in Romans 8:28. God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Uh, we can't say that glibly. <laughs> oh, it's all going to be good. We have to say that almost on our knees, trembling with awe that even though we do some pretty terrible things, God is able to, to bring glory from it. Wow, what a God we believe in. Oh, what a God we believe in. So putting us all together, we ought to be the most celebratory people on the planet. We have a God who loves us. Nothing can change that. We have a God who is using our suffering and hardship, in fact, to prepare us for an incredible future. We rejoice in that. And we rejoice in that future. And in 5 to 8 of Romans, Paul is basically saying, hey, can we get that picture back up? Of the, uh, that I had before. Is that possible? Yeah. No. no. Okay. No. There it is. Okay. Um, he's put just, you know, we want to be living from that reality of who we truly are. To see past the, the rubbish and the trash <laughs> that sometimes we exhibit to see through to the deeper reality of what God is doing in our lives and who he is making us. And I hope that for Anchor Church this will be 
how you live, how you forgive each other, how you come to terms with, with hardship. It'll be to constantly come back and say, hey, this is who we are now. We are the true, renewed humanity. No one can take that away. Let's live that now with hope, yeah, with confidence and with celebration. I'm going to pray. Father, I just pray for each person here who might be going through something pretty tragic at the moment and I pray that they will gaze upon the glories of your son's death and see the glory of your love and that they will see the trajectory of all that you're doing in our lives to make us ready for that future and that we'd help each other, constantly reminding each other in gospel triplets of who we are, of the hope we have. But give each of us comfort this morning and encouragement um, with these words to persevere and to persevere with great hope. Mm. And we pray it in the glorious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.